Welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. That song you just heard was From Within by Michael B. Now I cannot say his entire his last name correctly because I'm sorry, I'm not very good at I don't I don't read so good, you know? <laughs> so uh, and Mike, tell them where they can get that song. You can get that song on soundstripe.com, I believe. Isn't that? You are believing correct, oh. and you can get that song at a discount, if you will, if you sign up with our promo code, Uncle Dad Talks 10 That'll give you 10% off your first month subscription. Uh, the reason why the service is so important, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about today, about curating, about finding the better you, doing stuff that you want to do, all that great things. As we always try to say, Soundstripe gives you the ability as a curator of any kind to have music available at an affordable cost and i think that goes very much in hand with our guest uh, would you agree mr mike i would agree our guest has a little to do with music a little to do with comics a little to do with a lot um but absolutely being able to find music to create hasn't always been so easy so thank you to the people at soundstripe for that absolutely especially finding it at an affordable cost because that's the biggest problem right because i mean you could have easily find a beat maybe back then but you're paying probably thousands of dollars right so it's like now as an independent artist you can find the beat or a content creator of some kind for really literally ten dollars a month i mean that's pretty solid to me right <laughs> literally yeah literally speaking of literally <laughs> i wanted to bring that up i actually did want to bring that up so mike thank you for literally bringing that up mike tell them about your shirt you just made well it's it's literally a shirt that says literally. And, um, you know, th there's often words I think that people use and don't really know um, <laughs> the reason why they're even using the word or where the word comes from or the actual meaning of the word. And literally is used so out of context by so many people over and over and over. So it just, you know, who am I to say, but. But, but he's, he's got a shirt for you. Yes, I created a shirt, but let's just all be a little more aware of what's what we're saying and the impact or what it says about us, right? Let's be more literally aware of ourselves. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, and Mike, where can they buy you that new shirt at? You can go to my website, MikeAntonArt.com, and click on the t-shirt store link at the top. Okay, they can literally go do that. Awesome. Uh, well, yes, yeah, so without further ado, let's quickly introduce our guest. Our guest is a rock star icon. Literally. He <laughs> he's literally a he rock is a, star. He's literally a rock star icon. There's the rock star, and then there's yeah. literally, literally a rock star, and then there's someone <laughs> who you say is a rock star, but they're not really a rock star, but they do a rock star lifestyle. So for, to wow. introduce our guest, you would say he's literally a rock star. In a huge band. In a very huge band. One of the most, I would probably say, iconic bands of the uh, 2000 era of, of rock and roll, yeah. if you will, of rock music. That band is a little known band that you may have heard of called System of a Down. That is right. Our guest is who, Mike? Drummer John Dalmayan of System of a Down. That is correct. Uh, that is a huge, this is a huge deal for us here at Uncle Dad because this is probably... Our biggest guest we've had, I'd probably say the next biggest one next to hit uh, John is probably going to be me. Probably Keith. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're always on the show. So, <laughs> but this guy actually is the biggest. So. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of views and he's also put out a comic book that he wrote out. And that's really what I want to focus on, you know, in this is like his idea and where it comes from and how. You know, you go from being a rock star drummer to selling, you know, 40 million albums to now I'm writing a comic book. And just, you know, that bridge is always really exciting to me. I completely agree. So, Mike, uh, let's go ahead and start this journey. Before that, just another ad, just really quick, quick reminder that you can purchase Mike's re-release of the, his seminal book, I would say, in my opinion. I think Captain Abel's Guide to Customer Service is truly one of my Camptons, our co-hosts. 
best work he's ever done. And I'm not just saying that because I love the guy. I say that because I mean it. Uh, it is truly one of the greatest books I think he's written. If you have not read it yet, uh, please go to uncledadcomics.com. You can actually go ahead and purchase that literally for $5. Literally for $5. <laughs> uh, plus shipping and tax, of course, uh, uncledadcomics.com. Please go support the dream. Uh, we have some big things coming up here at Uncle Dad. Uh, you know, just kind of throw in a little newsletter here real fast. But with after this book, this is it. There's no more of the re-releases of Mike Hampton's character, Captain Ahold. But we have the big book coming out this year, which is going to be the last book of the Captain Ahold series. This is going to be Mike's first uh, return to Captain Ahold in how many years? Probably as long as the last System of a Down album. <laughs> oh, around there. i like that i like that yeah. uh yeah so uh that'll be coming out sometime this year so please and in order for us to keep making those books we need these books to sell so go to uncledadcomics.com you can actually buy the standard edition we may have some signed copies coming back in stock but right now those are sold out but without further ado uh on this episode i'm gonna kind of hand the keys to the man himself uh mike hampton he's gonna kind of do the show i'm gonna kind of just comment here and there because you know Mike deserves, a shot. Mike deserves a shot, too, and this is his shot. So, Mike, uh, go ahead and take those keys, sir. Yeah, thanks for giving, uh, giving me my big break, uh, Uncle Dad. <laughs> that, that's all I do here is yeah. give breaks. <laughs> yeah. Some people may have heard of the band System of a Down. They've had several Billboard hits, Grammy nominations, won a Grammy in 2006, MTV Awards, over 40 million records sold. Mr. John Dalmayan, the drummer of System of a Down. Welcome to the show. Yeah, John, how you doing? What's, what's happening? How's, how are things uh, going? I've been working pretty hard on my, com my comic book company called Torpedo Comics. You know, we have two locations, one in Las Vegas, one in Orange County. And we've just been trying to develop it into something greater than just a comic book store. And we do have some plans that are, that are starting to take form in that process. So there will be some exciting things coming from Torpedo within the next couple of months. It's just a matter of, uh, like everything else I've done in my life, I just try to look at it and, and elevate it to the highest level I can. Of course, you have to surround yourself with really good people, really talented people. That's part of the process. And, um, and work as a team to, to create something that other people just don't think of. You know, like, uh, I, like to, I like to think that throughout my career in music and comic books and everything else that I've done, I've tried to expand on um, the universe that I'm in to the best of my ability. You know, and that's what we're trying to do here with Torpedo, with my comic book, Accenture, that I wrote, with System for the last 25 years, just trying to, not really trying, but being different, thinking outside of the box, thinking of innovative ways to do, uh, you know, the same, what is it, how many notes are there, 12? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a guitar player. You know, you take them, you rearrange them, you make something interesting out of it that hasn't been done before. Um, although recently I've seen some bands that are that are highly influenced by system, and I think that's amazing that, that people out there have taken what we've done and, and made it their own as well uh, and been inspired by it because that's how, that's how I got to where I was. I was inspired by tons of bands. That's where my sound comes from. Plus, of course, there's that internal spirit uh, that embodies your art, you know, but uh, there are those outside influences that help shape you. Yeah, also, absolutely. I mean, I, it is interesting to to get to that point now where you're seeing bands kind of emulate what you guys did or or take take kind of keys from how System would play and then incorporate that into their own version. And then eventually that'll happen to them later on down the line. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into the torpedo in, in your comic book, but when you would come to the comic conventions, you were always an inspiration to me to seeing how you, the torpedo booth would expand and be this larger than most, <laughs> most booths, but just the experience of going into the torpedo booth, the way that you would present it was just unlike anything else. And, and it, I attribute that to your feeling of wanting things to be larger than life. And just really, I, I just say, you, looking at you in the years that I have, you're a liver of life. You love life. You've been a, a huge uh, inspiration to me in how I do things um, and just in the levels that I can. So, yeah, it's just great to see. You have to think of it. Well, let me explain 
kind of the philosophy to you. So I'm satisfied by nothing. You know, like uh, there's no way to fill the emptiness. My wife likes to, likes to point that out to me. So there's never a point where I say, okay, well, that's, that's finished or that's great. I'm always trying to improve it. So when I saw what my um, predecessors and um, competitors and friends in the comic book industry were doing, I saw that they were very complacent. They were basically, some of them would even change their long boxes year after year. And they, you know, you got a million dollars worth of inventory and the pre presentation is shit. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, okay, well, I'm not sure that that's how I want to approach this. And, and because of that, like mental illness that I have of, of never being satisfied by something, I strove to make my booth a little bit different and also to take uh, what other people were doing. Cause a, a lot of people had great ideas, but it would be like one part of one aspect of what they were doing was a great idea. And then they would kind of fail in many other ways. There's a dealer that uh, sells chocolate bars at his booth, which I never really understood. And um, he had this, his booth looked very ramshackle and old boxes and, and his display was shit. But um, he had one great idea. And that great idea was he would cut up like the covers of comics and attach the, the top, the logo of the comic book to like a divider. And that's how you would be able to, tell where the books were, you know? So for Fantastic Four, he would have the Fantastic Four logo cut off a book. And I, and I looked at that, and I said, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? Well, I didn't think of it, but I did improve it because I, I said, instead of cutting up a comic book, which to me is uh, sacrilege. Super sacrilege. I just made color copy of the comic book and attached it to the top of a board. And then later on, we actually, um, got images off the internet and had the entire board printed. Yeah. You know, so it was, a, it was a matter of improving on that great idea that the chocolate, bo uh, the chocolate bar selling comic dealer had, but he just, you know, he had that great idea, but the, the approach was, could have been done better basically is what I'm saying. You know, like Apple didn't invent the phone, right. But they perfected the iPhone, you know, and um, and many other products. So that's basically the mindset is just to go around constantly watching, constantly trying to improve, and then hoping to inspire other people to also elevate their game. Your display, your booth setup, all of these things should reflect uh, who you are as an individual, but also reflect what you're what you're selling people. Are you selling people that you're, you know, um, a mediocre kind of player in the industry or are you selling people that you're a top player in the industry so you know I'm, I'm hoping that that in some way changed a little bit of the perception of what comic book people and industry and dealers are in general and we're going to continue to do that because we're not finished i have a completely different display uh envisioned for the next time we're allowed to have comic-con it's going to be again it's something no one's ever done you know so um but we also spend the money, you know, like not everybody can afford that. And I get it, but you can still take pride in what you do. Right. For, for example, so there might be one person that has a mansion that has, you know, well manicured lawns and all that. And, uh, and it looks beautiful. They've got a staff of 20 people that maintain that. But then there's also the homeowner that saved up all his life or her life and, and bought a home that goes out and plants the garden and, and, trims the shrubs and all that and takes that same uh, that has that same sense of pride in their property as the mansion owner does but might even appreciate it a little bit more because they're the ones doing the work and they actually know every piece of that house and every piece of that garden but they have something beautiful and their neighbor could you know have an unkept garden and it looks like shit you know so i try to be more of the person who takes pride in what they do and and really tries to elevate the people around them whenever possible. And, but I'm also inspired by other people's great ideas, you know? So, it, and I think that that is a lesson for life in general. You can go around and be inspired and, and take that inspiration. And, and if you have work ethic, you know, it's not easy to do it. But if you have the work ethic, you can improve your life and, and improve uh, the industry. Right? Yeah. I just wanted to quickly interject real fast. Uh, we're talking about torpedo and stuff and how you're changing it. For those who don't know where that is, it, it is in Las Vegas. And as you mentioned, uh, 
it is probably, and I, and I truly mean this, I've been to a lot of comic book stores, and it's probably one of the most unique and probably the best comic book store you could go to in the United States, or if, if not the world. Midtown Comics, I know, is very big, but honestly, it's boring in there. Incredibly boring, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> um, it just feels like a retail store, but when you go into Torpedo, it feels like an experience. It feels like, yes, it's a retail store, but you also have like it's almost like a museum in some respects you know it's a geek uh it's a pop culture like you know church if you will it is it's if you're a comic book fan this could be like your church like i can't recommend it enough i i definitely think torpedo is on its way to changing the way we look at comic book stores so i just wanted to say that i remember when i was a kid and i went to a comic book store for the first time it it really was like walking in a fantasy mm -hmm. land. yep and um and it was a basic comic book store you know they had like stacks of comics they had bins but, uh, but their entire wall was full of all these comic books that were just basically pinned to like a cardboard wall, yeah, you know, or like a cork wall. But, I, but for me, it was, it was magical. I guess that was a philosophy here is to create something magical for people of all ages so that the 12-year-old the kid walking in there would feel the same sense of awe as a 40-year-old kid in all of us. And um, they would be able to share that in different ways, of course, depending on their perspective, so that they could see a comic book that they never thought they would see in person or a piece of original art that they never thought they would see. But also the meticulous detail of the story, mm -hmm. you know, like the themes. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of pop culture in general, but especially Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Those are two of my favorites. I think they're iconic life-changing uh, brands that have come out and storylines that were created. And um, there are elements of those brands in my store. So you might be a Doctor Who fan and see our back door. Rather than have a, a door that goes to our bathrooms be a regular door, we made it look like Doctor Who's, uh, you know, whatever that thing's called. The TARDIS, the phone booth thing. Yeah, it's TARDIS. <laughs> exactly. I call it a phone booth. But yeah. I mean, technically not wrong, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it. I guess that's probably a similar way in how you would approach approach drumming too, right? Like when you were focusing on drumming, like how do you become the best drummer or like elevate yourself as a drummer, and and that kind of also is for me. It's never been about being the best at anything. Mm, just... It's not important for me to have the best of anything. It just it's important for me to be exceptional at whatever I do. So when I was when it came to my drumming. You know, I practiced four hours a day, five hours a day for many years. And I tried to not just be technically, technically great, but more like mentally, you know, for me, it was about dissecting the songs and figuring out things that made the songs sound different, you know, and it was really, I was tailor-made to be in system because the writing for system is so out there and different that it really required drumming that was also able to match that, you know, and, and have like a diverse flavor and taste range, jazz, fusion, rock, reggae, but there's really no elements that we don't use in system, you know, but fortunately I have, I have like a, a wealth of musical tastes that I can draw from. And that's kind of the, the same vibe that happens within the rest of the three guys, you know, it permeates our mindsets of just the, the diversity of styles. And we were able to bring these together in an amalgam that created the, the music that we created. But it was never about being the best drummer in the world, you know, uh, technically. I listen to a lot of very good technical drummers and I appreciate them as well, uh, with Neil Peart being my favorite. But the thing that I respected the most was a drummer that could go into what may be like a mundane song and elevate that song. Because at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of like the fusion, crazy, uh, they're doing solos, all that. Then you ask them to create a beat for a song and they don't, know, they don't know how to do it. You know, they come up with really basic beats. So yeah, it, that's another reason why I never really pursued schooling of any kind for my drumming. I'm sure I could have benefited in some ways from it, but I just felt like it was better for me to figure it out on my own. And who's a better teacher than, than Neil Peart, John Bonham, and Keith Moon? You know, I put their albums on, and, and that was my schooling. You know, as far as writing, I never took a writing class. Uh, I barely graduated high school, but I read a lot. So my teachers were James Clavell, 
obviously J.R.R. Tolkien was a massive, massive influence on me. Frank Herbert, you know, like mostly fantasy stuff, some sci-fi, but mostly, mostly um, fantasy. And that's where I learned everything, you know, not to mention like comic books, you know, and I read comic books for 40 years almost. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you and System, <clears throat> just real quick, I want to mention that you guys re released uh, two songs at the end of last year. Were those songs like stuff that you guys had already kind of recorded and had just needed to put out? Or was that something that you guys actually got together with? Or how did that come about? Well, just for your listeners, give you a little bit of brief history yeah. here. Recently, um, Azerbaijan allied with Turkey. We're talking about 100 million people combined attacked uh, Artsakh, which is a, a region populated by Armenians, which was liberated by Armenians about 30 years ago. And um, Armenia uh, with, with um, Artsakh combined have about 3 million people. Kind of not a poor country, but not well off. We don't have oil, we don't have uh, diamond mines. We have basically a tourist industry and some um, textiles and stuff like that, but not, not a wealthy nation by any means. And also technology-wise, military-wise, very, very behind the times. We got attacked basically by uh, Turkey, really, is the over, overlying power here that is attacking through Azerbaijan, which is a puppet country of Turkey. And they attacked and um, in defense of ourselves, we lost a lot of good people and basically lost this skirmish, you know, had to, uh, had to retreat. And uh, as an Armenian and uh, as, a, as a surviving ancestor of survivors um, of the Armenian genocide, which took place in 1915, where 1 1.5 million Armenians were killed by the Ottoman Empire, which is now Turkey. In, in what is basically a religious uh, attack. You know, we're Christian, they're Muslim. Um, and they didn't want any, they were already losing the Ottoman Empire. They lost Greece, they lost other parts of the Ottoman Empire. They were feeling like they were gonna lose what was greater Armenia at the time, which was about a quarter of Turkey today. So they said, look, it's easier just to get rid of these people, kill them. And they took out, you know, three quarters of our population at that time. So we were down to about 500,000 Armenians worldwide. And um, we bounced back, you know, but it's still, it's still a nation that's in a really tough area in the Caucasus there between Russia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, and Turkey. It's not, it's not a fun place to be. And really, our only ally has been the diaspora, which, is, which means the people that live outside of Armenia that have like uh, done the best they can to support the home country. So... Because of this, we felt it necessary and um, were, were inspired to create these two songs that were new songs. Our guitar player had uh, written them, but they had not, never been recorded or worked on by System. And, um, you know, System hasn't released any music for what, like 15 years or so, something like that, because we have a lot of internal issues. But we were able to put those issues to the side for a greater cause and we were able to get this uh these two songs done i don't know if we could have done a third because quite frankly it was not a fun experience mm -hmm. but you know we got them out and um hopefully we brought some attention to the cause we certainly raised quite a bit of money we raised over a million dollars through these two songs and um it's heartbreaking for us to to see images of young kids 19 year olds going to war trying to protect the homeland trying to prevent another genocide. Because, it, you know, in 1915, we didn't have a military. It was very difficult for us to defend ourselves against armed uh, military of Turkey. But now it's a little bit of a different story. We do have a military. And, and if we do go down, we're, we're not going to go down without inflicting a lot of damage on the opposition. So they have to tread lightly. And, um, and we're still fighting the good fight over there. You know, this thing is not over. There's a ceasefire. I don't know how long that's going to last, but um, we, we do want to bring attention to it because at the end of the day, these are people defending themselves very much like the Spartans against insurmountable odds. But um, we're in the right. We've always been in the right because we're not attacking them. They've always attacked us. Yeah. So that's, what, that's why we were able to galvanize the band and put out these two songs. I don't know if you'll ever hear another system song again. That was it. That was the return. Well, I mean, 
it's good that you you guys could come together and you know you have such a platform you have such a fan base because you really don't see a lot or hear a lot in the news or any kind of media really about what's going on in Armenia and the yeah you don't humanitarian you had COVID you had the presidential election people people's focus was somewhere else and that's part of the reason why they attacked mm. Mm. you know they used the presidential election in COVID. Uh, assuming that, and they were right, assuming that people would be so focused on what they were doing to not even worry about it. But, you know, this isn't the first time this happened. A million people died in Rwanda before anybody did shit. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Serbia, you know, by the time people wake up to the fact that something's happening and that there's, there are atrocities being committed, it's usually almost too late. You know, like we don't act quickly as, because look, at the end of the day, People are focused on feeding their families, taking care of themselves. You know, you're talking about Armenia. They don't even know where Armenia is. They certainly don't know where Artsakh is or heard of it. You know, it's a, it's a 24-hour flight to get there. It's just not in their lexicon, you know, which is understandable. But if we're here in the United States, we first of all, greatest country in the world, in my opinion. And I'm not xenophobic because I'm not from here. So, you know, <laughs> I've been around the world. I've seen everything. And I'm telling you, this is the best place to live. Right. And um, but because of that, we also have a little bit of a moral responsibility. So we have to decide whether or not we're only doing things because of financial gain or because of a long term advantage for the United States or we the arbiters of justice throughout the world. And, and how do we achieve that without putting our own people at risk, but yet walk the walk, you know, because we talk the talk, but are we going to walk the walk always? And that's not always the case. I think we could do things better to a certain extent. Yeah, well, again, um, it's great that you guys were able to come together and, and make some music that helps bring awareness to it. And, and also you were helped to raise some money to help out. One of the other things that you released last year, music-wise, uh, was this album, These Gray Men. He's, I don't know what you're looking he's at. He's so he's nervous, gay. that's why. I have, notes, well, I have notes here, and so I'm trying to... Uh, I know you just want to look into my eyes, but... Uh, <laughs> um, you've always been handsome there's no denying it thank you i agree i completely agree with that he's a super handsome guy <laughs> yeah. well um anyways uh yeah these great men so that was another i know you've been working on that for a bit and, and you released it and that's kind of like a not a cover album but more like an album where you took songs and kind of recreated them with other musicians um and but you like that was your project from from the start, right? Like you picked certain songs that you liked that you wanted to redo. You worked on stuff with guys from System, from Rage, Against the Machine, Avenged Sevenfold, and I guess that was kind of like uh, if you're not going to be able to do music with System, you got to create somehow, right? So that is that kind of where that came from. It was really just because I I, I enjoyed playing covers when I was younger, and we always kind of reimagined the covers. We never did covers exactly like the originals. And, um, and really, because I didn't have the satisfaction of working with System and creating with System and making music with them, I did, I did feel that itch to do something musically, you know, and I did it and I had a good time doing it and I was very proud of it. In fact, I'm contemplating doing a second album with uh, some really weird songs, a lot of pop songs, you know, I don't think people would expect that, but stuff like that. Just so people understand, I don't make any money off that. It's purely just for the joy. In fact, I think the last one cost me 60000 out of my pocket mm. to do and put out. But um, you shouldn't be motivated by, by money for everything that you do. Mm. And some things you do knowing that you're going to lose money, and, and it's just a part of it. You know, I've been fortunate to make a good living with system. You know, um, and at the end of the day, I would, I would prefer to do music only and exclusively with system. But that's not up to me, you know, so that because that has been taken away from me, you do kind of look at other outlets for that creative energy that you have, which is how I got back into writing after taking a hiatus from writing from the age of like uh, 10 to, you know, maybe five years ago when I started working on Ascension. But I used to be a creative writer when I was a kid, too. So, yeah, I imagine that that's I was getting to that as like another creative outlet for you. But real quick. Well, yeah, what? what uh you, you you mentioned something. Would you ever take a job like say in a, a band like Avenged Sevenfold? 
they're like, we need, we need a new drummer. John, are you available? Would you ever consider something like that? First of all, Ben Sevenfold has a fantastic yeah. drum. Yeah, they do. So, but if something happened, like he fell and couldn't do it anymore. Or something. Oh, you mean like for a short term? I, I absolutely, I would, I would consider any band, but um, Ben Sevenfold, especially because Matt's such a great guy, and and I know a couple of the guys from the band; they're really good people. Um, so yeah, I would, I would absolutely do that if the opportunity arose and I felt like I could add something to it and I could handle the music. And I don't think I could handle Slayer, but I could probably <laughs> handle Ben Sevenfold. We have some double bass that I might have to like work on, but uh, you know, generally speaking, if I can add to it, I would absolutely consider it. Um, what would be even more fun is if some bands wanted me to play a song or two on an album. I would absolutely do That's that, awesome. you know. And and I think um, I think that my style is so associated with system that might be part of the reason why I don't get that many offers, or maybe I don't know. Who cares? Uh, the offers don't come in; they don't come in, right. but. I've done a couple of things here and there for other bands. I worked on an album for Killing Joke. I never got released because uh, Dave Grohl came into the whole album. Print. <laughs> yeah. Dave actually is a very nice guy. He reached out the other day to say how much he liked the, the new song. So he's just, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in this business. You know, and most genuine. A fucking guy gets every damn gig there is. <laughs> he's always smiling. That's what, yeah, that's all I was going to say. I was really going to say the same thing. <laughs> Listen, bro, you're talking about a drummer who became the lead singer. Yeah. That's a situation. Yeah. Right? Because the drummers are, I'm going to, I'm going to clue you in on something. Drummers are the smartest guys in the band. Guys. Oh, I agree. Okay? I agree. Yeah. Very rarely will you have a drummer get kicked out of a band. Very rarely. Um, because we know that we're pretty easily replaced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. That's right. Keep your fucking mouth shut and do your yeah. Although I don't keep your mouth shut ever. <laughs> you know, on the subject of like having you having you in bands and stuff like that, you know who I've always thought that I would love to see you play with? Because um, I think your 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 playing style matches like their heaviness and bass, or at least when Chi Cheng was alive, uh, Deftones. I've always would have loved to see you uh, play with them. Again, you're talking about my boy Abe. Yeah. And he, he's great. He's, so awesome. he's amazing. I love the Deftones, obviously, but it's like, I think it would be nice to see you kind of sub in there. You know what I mean? I, w I wouldn't mind doing a song. Yeah. You know, Abe's come on our stage a couple of times over the years and played uh, system songs here and there. That's awesome. Usually um, usually in a disastrous way. Yeah, I saw that in Sacramento one time. It happened in a <laughs> <Yeah>. disastrous way. <laughs> but... I never tell the band he's doing it. You know, we just bring him yeah. up. <laughs> I like that. You just, you just spring stuff on people. I love it. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, did you practice the song? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know. You practice it? Uh, no. All right, fuck it. Go play it, bro. Let's see what happens. <laughs> you know? That'd be awesome, man. <laughs> I would do a song with the Deftones if they asked me to. Or Corn. Corn would be good too, or, yeah. Yeah. You know, or um, let me think who else I would. I, Muse, I would love oh, to. Oh, that'd be song. awesome. Muse. I love that band. Wow. Um, who would you drum for that wouldn't be rock related, though? Weekend? The, I would like to do a song with Oh, that, that answered my question. Yeah, awesome. Aside from that Super Bowl fiasco, I think he's very talented. Yeah. yeah. Wait, why do you say that? I'm just curious. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I said that. <laughs> okay, so I kind of, okay, I didn't think it was that great either, but everybody's talking about how amazing it is. So that's why I'm saying I'm curious why you say that. I, if you don't mind talking about that. <laughs> I mean, there it is. He spent $7 million on that out of his own pocket. It was terrible. Yeah, and I could I, where did it, where did it go? Where was that money at? I didn't understand that personally. Oh, listen, you, when you get into union fees, bro, trust me, it adds up real gotcha. quick. Gotcha. Okay, so it was more of that kind of stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've heard stories about union fees at Comic-Con. Jeez. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Anyways, uh, yeah, your book, Essentia. So this was another kind of creative outlet for you. And I just want to talk about or ask you about, like, where did the, the name Essentia come from? Hold on. Yeah. Have you read I it? I did read it. Yeah. I, I okay. was part of your, the Kickstarter, which made it happen. So, yeah. Nice. Did you get it yet? I, I didn't book? get my Kickstarter one, but I did buy one from a shop. Yeah. What a good guy. Yeah. See? Well, I've got... They say you're a... But that's not true. <laughs> say what? 
<laughs> I, I heard that. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I had to cut the, you know, there's, there's, there's variant covers. So I ordered the Jim Lee cover, but then I had to get the Tony Parker, you know, the main cover. That thing is so rare, bro. The Jim Lee yeah. one. There's yeah. almost nobody has those. Yeah. So I was watching Armageddon. Yeah. You know, the movie Armageddon. When did you watch that? With ben I just watched that the other day. <laughs> can't avoid it. It's on every two yeah, days. Yeah, but it's so good. <laughs> and I was watching it uh, years ago, years, probably 10 years ago. And I was like, man, that's, what a cool concept, right? And then there was Deep Impact. And it's, it's like, you start to think about like how finite everything is, you know? And human life, you know, we, we have such a limited time on this planet. And even the planet has a finite lifespan mm -hmm. and everything. It, it, they're just kind of the sadness of that. Part of why I love the Silmarillion so much, as far as all of J.R.R. Tolkien's works, that's my favorite. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is because it gets into the mythology of, of why everything exists. And it really gives you an idea of the sadness of the elves. Because here's a race that are basically immortal, but they can die, you know? And, um, you know, there could be an elf that's been around for 10,000 years. Imagine, like, the wisdom and the artistry and the knowledge and the depth of, the, of somebody that has lived for 10,000 years and to be extinguished by an orc, you know, or, or by some calamity. And that sadness kind of translated over to Armageddon as I was watching it. And I was like, wow, like, you know, imagine if tomorrow we all found out that like in, in a couple of weeks, we're all just going to die. You know, like think of like a cancer patient who is diagnosed with terminal cancer and they know they're going to die. And then they go through all those emotions of anger and everything. But at the end of the day, it's just acceptance because you realize we're all going to die anyway. You know, and at the end of the, at the end of it, what's important is how we live in the time that we're allotted and the joy that we give to other people and that we get back during that time. And all of these things started to manifest in the in the story. Also, some things that make me very angry in, in life. I'm a very emotional person, uh, although people wouldn't necessarily know that. And I'm, I'm deeply affected by things. And um, s some stories I heard without giving away too much of the first like year of Essentia kind of brought about that storyline for the first year. And, and, and so the gist of Essentia is, for those of you who don't know anything about it, if, if, uh, if you're interested, is that we find out that there's an asteroid or meteor coming towards the Earth. And it's about two years away from impacting. And when it impacts, the earth, uh, everything will be gone. This is like twice the size of what took out the dinosaurs. It's, there's no chance of survival all the way down to like bacteria. Everything will be destroyed. And um, it's about kind of like, well, the story you'll be reading in issue one isn't about this, but later on you'll find out about this and how people reacted to it. And, you know, what is humanity really? Like we're just a society based on rules that somebody came up with but like what binds us all what holds it all together is the belief in in the idea of society you know what would dismantle that how quickly could it be dismantled well have you ever seen people when there's a food shortage or uh more recently when when all semblance of law is taken away and you can do whatever you want you can riot and you know kill people just imagine if there were no rules, what would you do? You know, what would society become? So it touches on that. But at the end of the day, I'm also an optimist. And I believe that uh, people are inherently good, not evil. And that we will rise above things, even if we have stumbles in our lives, you know. And I look at uh, teachers such as like Gandhi and um, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, the Dalai Lama and, you know, very, very big, impactful people and their philosophies were all the same, you know, change through peace.
you know, like uh, turn the other cheek, whatever you want to call it. They, uh, they made profound changes that were lasting changes and they did it peaceably. And I think that ultimately that, that is the human desire is to just live their lives, create a better situation for, for the coming generations and, uh, and be with your family whenever possible. So anyway, let's go back. Let's wind it back a little bit. I mean, yeah. Wind it back. Yeah. So what, that was basic, the basic inspiration for Essentia, you know, where it came from. The ideas stem from Armageddon, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, you know, a fun film, but also, you know, a lot of Tolkien, a lot of Gandhi, um, faith in humanity, but also an understanding that humans are fallible and that there are, there are bad people out there that no matter what options you give them, they're always going to choose bad, yeah. you know? So it's like the, the story is, is essentially about this asteroid coming and what that means, the impending doom. But it's really about the deeper meaning is a little there about how humans react when they're faced with their own immortality, right? Like, and what that does to people. So it's not going to make sense until I explain this. Yeah. The asteroid, about two weeks away from impacting the Earth, it blows up into billions of pieces. We don't know why. And um, what ends up landing on Earth is basically a basketball-sized sphere of almost a living metal. And it creates this, like, 20-mile crater on impact. And while we are over there trying to figure out what this thing is, and we send researchers, helicopter crashes, and the blast throws, like, a worker on the ground, like, 20 yards, and he's all lacerated. Because if you've ever seen, like, the, a crater floor, it's almost like glass, right? Like, cracked glass. And um, he's just trying to steady himself, and he accidentally touches the orb for just a split second, and he instantly turns into a baby. But that baby is still that man, and still kind of speak, although the speech isn't quite there because the muscles haven't quite developed in the speech yet, you know, for an infant. And we figure out, for whatever reason, there's properties in this orb that make you younger. And the closer you are in proximity to this orb, the younger you get. And then it kind of like subsides. And then at the end of this crater is the influence is finished, right? Like, so it only goes to the crater. So what happens is that becomes the most expensive real estate in the world where everybody wants to be. All governments move to this place. All powerful people move to this place. And we're now 150 years in the future. And there's, you know, 200 story buildings here. And, and it is, it is the, the power base of the entire planet. All decisions are made there. But then also everybody wants to be there, but can't get in, right? So a city develops around it called Bethany. And basically these are like flavela style cities. If you've ever seen flavelas in Brazil, they're destitute, they're uh, dangerous places, but, you know, children live there. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, you know, um, it's a weird thing because they, it is very poverty-stricken, but yet can be a lot of beauty there as well. You know, so these favelas basically develop all the way around called Bethany, where about 60 million people live. And, um, you know, there is resentment because they die but the people in the center don't, you know? So there's a lot of story I can get into, but uh, you, you'll be going down a wormhole with me if you do, because I, I have like five years, six years of stories already planned. Awesome. And uh, I just have to say that if you have read it or are planning on reading it, stick with it. It's a slow burn. There's no superheroes. You know, there's no big, big things happening. It's, it's a long, it's the long play. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. It's like uh, Essentia, the, the city itself, and, and Bethany, it's like the mirror opposite of it. And almost even in the way I, it's drawn, I think, I, and I'll talk about your artist who's drawing it in a sec, but when, I, when I'm looking at the, the pages where they're in Essentia, it's, it's very elegant and, and kind of like, it almost looks like two different artists drew Bethany and Essentia, but it's all the same artist, Tony Parker. Was that? Yeah, he killed it. He, he, he did exactly what I wanted, which was, you know, um, art deco, yeah. super high end, incredible technology, 
So imagine like within a mile of each other are two cities. One of them has every technological advancement known to man. And the other one is basically using technology that we find outdated today. Yeah. You know, so think about where technology would be in 150 years. And imagine that that city get, gets that technology, but the one we live in is using like rotary phones. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's such a cool um, trend, you know, like polar opposite of each other. And when, when you pick Tony Parker, what was like your reason for picking him? Like what made you go with Tony as opposed to anyone else? Well, I look for an artist for one of the reasons this didn't come out three years ago is because I couldn't find a fucking artist, man. Like artists are flaky. They, they like, sure are. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> they sure can be. Artists are flaky. <laughs> and really most of the great ones have long-term contracts with other, all, either Marvel or DC. Yeah. So I remember talking to Adi, Adi Granoff, who's phenomenal. I was like, man, I want you for my book bad. You know, he's like, man, I can't have exclusive with Marvel. It's possible. I was like, no way to break that contract. You know? yeah. But I really wanted Adi for the interiors. And then um, he couldn't do it. And then and uh, I was talking to Carlos Deanda for a long time. I don't know if you guys know who that, who know who that is. Another phenomenal artist. And he just couldn't commit to a long-term thing. And I needed somebody that was like going to take this ride for years. And I was just walking around uh, Seattle Comic-Con, really just desperate to find an artist. But I needed to find somebody that had the talent that was not necessarily well known, but had experience in comics, but wasn't big enough to where it would be impossible. And also somebody that was still developing, right? right. I think Tony is better today than it was when we started. Every issue is better. Mm. You know, the guy's just like fucking making leaps and bounds. So there was Tony Parker sitting there by himself at his table doing a sketch for somebody. And I went and I looked at some of his stuff and I was like, Hmm. And then I kind of like uh, rifled through his trade paperback that he had. And I was like, well, I saw the potential, you know, like, uh, and I was like, Hey man, are you, are you interested in doing, uh, are you interested in doing my book? Essentially. At the time I thought I was going to release it through image. That was before I decided just to do it on my own publishing company. Yeah. And he's like, well, let's talk about it. And he was just the nicest guy. And, um, instantly liked the guy developed a bond with him. And then over the course of the next couple of months, started getting into it, told him my idea. He loved the idea. And, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a match made in heaven because the guy, he's the only artist I know that constantly bothers me for the pages. Yeah. You know, he's like, John, I need, I need more. You know, I need the next issue. And Hey, I'm just checking in every week. I hear from him. And as a writer, man, sometimes you go through like other shit, you know, I don't have time, right? Like, uh, this isn't my only thing I'm doing. So, and during, <clears throat> during the attack on Armenia, I was so depressed. I just couldn't, I couldn't write. I couldn't do anything artistic. You know, I was so angry that it just took away anything in some ways good. Anything good I had in me was just kind of shut down and I was just angry and felt powerless to do anything about it. So he was very patient during that time. We're on issue eight now, you know, and issue two is coming out. I think might already be out yeah. in stores. So, you know, um, we do have a head start on it, thankfully. And, and as far as the covers are concerned, I'm, you know, I have a lot of friends in the industry, so I'm trying to get all of them to do covers, but also finding people on um, Instagram that are not that well-known. I'm dealing with this Indian kid. Actually, neither of us speaks the other person's language, but we got a translator and he's a phenomenal artist, but nobody knows who he is. So... You know, it's also nice to be able to find these guys and girls. There was a girl uh, named Sarah out of Australia that I that I uh, found through Simon Bisley, and she did a cover. It's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite covers, but nobody else who she is. But they'll find out, you know. So it's going to be like a mix between really well-known artists like Jim Lee, Frank Cho, you know, Mark Brooks, et cetera, et cetera, and then people you'd never heard of, you know. But... Um, but are phenomenal at what they do. I think it's great. It's like you're you're using you know your ability to have all these amazing artist friends that you've made over the years, uh, you know, like the ones you mentioned. But also like using your platform to help other artists who you think are great who may need a big break, you know, and this could be that for them too. So 
Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really important for me to showcase people who who have talent who maybe just don't have the conduit. Right. You know, they're sending their stuff to the three publishers, but they get those guys get millions of uh, requests a year. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So I have the ability, like an indie label, I have the ability to really sit there and look for these hidden gems. And keeping in mind also that not all artists are tenacious, right? Like they may be very talented, but they don't have the ability or the self-confidence to go and say, hey, look at my stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But you got you to find them in, in, in certain circumstances, which is, uh, you know, another thing I'm open to people sending me their work or even saying, hey, look, I have this friend who's an artist. He's phenomenal. Check this out. Send it to me. I might oh, send you something. I'm completely open to it. I'm on Instagram and I answer the messages. Like, I'm going to send you something. No, not you. Um, you invited. <laughs> I know anyone but me. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the roles in comics that often. You want to do a cover, what's Mike? That? Go ahead, do a cover. I'll do a cover. Yeah, I'll submit. for free though. For free. <laughs> Don't give Dave Wyatt though because he'll do that. Right. That's right. Um, one. Mike did a nice. For me as a gift, gave it to Dave White and Dave White lost. <laughs> Is that what happened to it? That's exactly Damn. what well, it's gone. It's in Bakersfield somewhere now. <laughs> Probably. Um, one of the one of the roles in, in a comic book I feel like often just gets not mentioned is the colorist. You know, it's one of the things that I do. And and how'd you find your coverist and blonde? Blonde? He's badass, right? Yeah, like where where's what's uh how do you pick? A guy like Blonde for a colorist. He was suggested to me. There was a three colorists that I gave like tests uh, to, you know, like you give them the art and they see what they come up with. And his just resonated yeah. with him. He got the differences between Asantia and Bethany. You know, he was able to get that difference the same way that Tony did and and made one of them look like a darker place, which it totally. is. You know? yeah. What, um, when, when you released the first issue, that kind of helped that that's still the same thing that continues the next several issues. So we're for sure going to see two, three, four ongoing. That's all covered. Diamond's already ordered uh, two, three. They're going to, if nobody wants it from Diamond, don't worry, but Torpedo will release it, right. you know? And, tor and Torpedo. You know, so, we distribution, so we're not, we're not, we don't depend on anybody, but Diamond's been very supportive of it. They gave us ads, you know, Usually, if you're a new publisher, you have to have two or three books. We only have one. They put us in there anyway. Of course, I have relationships, so yeah. all over the place. So that helps a lot. It must. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Without that, probably wouldn't have seen this book unless it was at the small press tables at conventions. Yeah, but next to me. This is, we're going to be mixed <laughs> with this. Yeah, you don't want to have a table next to me in small press. <laughs> no, your, your table's looking nice, by Thank the you. way. I see that you take some... Uh, Initiative. Well, you know, I was so. influenced by your, you know, when you come rolling in with these huge, it looks like, a, you know, you're setting up a stage for a show and it's, you know, it's. Yeah, but Mike, keep in mind, bro, that anything you can do to differentiate yourself from everybody else, yeah. puts you on the map more and makes you look more professional. Mm -hmm. People will take you seriously if you take yourself seriously. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, very well said. What's, uh, so Torpedo, let's talk about your shop um, more. And, and obviously you can find your book there. There's also your variant covers, which one of the things your store is known for is doing these really exclusive torpedo variants, right? Yes, so yes. I, th I think it's really awesome. And like when you started Torpedo, was that kind of a vision for you? Is like, I want to cr create my own comic and put it through here. Also, like the variant covers is one thing I want to like be known for. Just trying to do something yeah. different. You know, we have... Uh... We're the only store I know that before COVID was doing like 40 signings a year. Wow. Uh, so like every month we'd have two or three artists and writers out there. I mean, we just do, we just try to do something different, man. Like differentiate ourselves from everybody else. Like I told you before, elevate. I have a lot of far-fetched ideas, but unlike other people, mine come to fruition. You know, you'll I have a fucking idea for a new store, bro. What I have in my head if I make it into a real store, it's a game changer. There's nothing like it in the world, you know? So um, it's hard to, it's hard to really explain it. You know, like I think my wife thinks I'm nuts, <laughs> but um, it's just the way, it's just the way I'm wired. If I fail, I fail big. Yeah. 
you know, but, but there's always some good that comes out of those failures. Yeah. We lost a ton of money on these, uh, on these goddamn, uh, variants. Oh yeah. But we, keep, you know, we did, we did 27 covers for Batman 1027. 27 covers. You guys did 27. Yeah. Sorry, sorry 29 covers. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of variants. 27. Yeah, I remember seeing, I remember seeing that. And I was like, whoa, that is a lot of exclusive variants, but that's, but that's pretty badass if you ask me. <laughs> we lost our ass, but you know what? It'll end up making a profit. But again, man, some of those variants, there's only 500 copies yeah. out there of big, big artists, you know? So eventually they will gain value. In fact, they already have value. But um, the bottom line is we take these great, great leaps and, uh, and we fail big, but it helps to perpetuate Torpedo's name. It, it enlarges it. You know, I think we have a reputation of quality out there. Absolutely. And, um, and you have to invest in that. All right. Well, yeah, just, in, just saying like, you know, one of the other books that you can find at your Torpedo Comics is my Captain A-Holes. Guide to customer service, which is just re-released. So thank you for that, John. <laughs> and 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 you know, I told you, man, you can't have that. That's not going to be in Barnes and Nobles. No, the Barnes and Nobles still exists. Yes. No, but it, but it is in Torpedo, and that's in the comic book world. That's right. Is equal to a Barnes and Noble in the book world. That's better. And <laughs> yeah, um, you might even find that on our website. Oh well, there you go. Whoa. And and. Do you, and, and just, I don't know, like, do you feel like how, you know, like your political stance and how you've been vocal, do you think that's affected negatively your book sales and like the, or do you think people are like. It's affected me negatively in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, we had an agent that we were talking to about making this into, you know, pitching this to some people. And, um, you know, no. I got to tell you, I'm really disappointed in, in, in a lot of people, a lot of liberals. Because I have a lot of liberal friends. Most of my friends are liberal. I'm a conservative, as some people may or may not know. But at the end of the day, I change my opinion on things based on information. You know, so if I get new information, I reevaluate, I look at things, and I and I make a decision based on that. You know, so um, what's happening right now is with this cancel culture bullshit is really destructive, yeah. and um, it always backfires on the people that are that are instituting it, and um, we have to be really careful because in the fifties we had something called McCarthyism where people that were hyper liberal and um, a lot of people that were considered communist, basically they lost their entire lives. You know, like uh, that whole generation of great artists and writers that were just ostracized. And we have to be careful because if we allow that to happen in any way, it could always come back to the other side because I will tell you, they're, this generation is very liberal, but the next one might be more conservative yeah. and so on and so forth. It does tend to turn around. And then they look, especially now with social media and all this bullshit, you know, people go back and they check things. They're like, oh, really? This is how you felt? And you're judged on that for the rest of your Absolutely, life. Absolutely, yep. You know? So I'm a conservative. I want what's best for everyone, but I want everybody to have the freedom to do these things. I don't like big government. Um, I don't like the agenda of, of a lot of the democratic platforms these days. Um, I think AOC is a moron. I just have to put that out there. Okay. I like to say that in every conversation. All right. You know, look, at the end of the day, I just want everybody to have equal opportunity to be successful yeah. in whatever that success is, you know. And, uh, and I want people to be motivated by doing the right thing in life, not rewarded for doing the wrong thing. You know, so that's my philosophy. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I wish you much success with the book, the store, continued success with the store, and uh, and everyone go pick up Essentia. It's on torpedocomics.com or at any comic book store near you, right? Yeah, I think 560 comic book stores ordered. Awesome, right? so awesome. It is out there, but it did sell out, by the way. Sold out at night. You know, so I think we're looking to do in a second print of number awesome. one. Right awesome. Awesome. Pretty exciting. Thank you again, John. All right, John. All right, thanks, thanks guys. Take, Take care. care. Hey everyone, Baby Gabe here with a quick post-interview check-in. First, a huge thank you to John Dalmine for being on the show. It was great to be able to hear his conversation with Mike and Uncle Dad. 
If you enjoyed the interview, consider giving us a five-star review on whichever podcast app you use. It really helps us out a lot and gets us in front of a lot more people. If you're looking for more content that involves yours truly, I am working on a couple of projects. I'm currently streaming on Twitch every Friday and Sunday, where I get drunk and play Fall Guys with a couple of friends and attempt to overcome my fear of the dark by playing some horror games. You can find me at twitch.tv slash kingkiller underscore azoth. It would mean so much to me if you stopped by and said hi. Thank you all for listening to this episode. And as Uncle Dad always says, love each other, respect each other, and we'll see you next time.